Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I'd like to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Now, this week's episode is uh, being recorded a little bit in advance, uh, so we're going to have a little bit of a time mess aroundery, just for full disclosure for you guys. But when this comes out, we will be about halfway through the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, the festival of lights, the the burning of the candles, of the oil, of good times. And, uh, you know, I myself am on a journey of conversion with Judaism as we speak. That's been going for a couple of years now, and that's been really nice for me and really lovely and warm and cool. Warm and cool in op- different senses of, you, you know what I mean by that. Uh, and so I thought it would be cool to chat with someone tonight who uh, has been on such a journey themselves and uh, who is, I guess, I was going to say at the end of the conversion journey, but that's not really how that works. Oh, it's just the beginning. Baby. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but who has uh, been down that road and chat a little bit about Hanukkah and a little bit about creating traditions out of a place of conversion and having not grown up with those traditions. So I'm very excited to welcome back to the show, a longtime friend of the show, our good friend, Amanda McLaughlin. Amanda is the CEO and co-founder of Multitude, co-host of Spirits and Join the Party all around fabulous, wonderful human being. Aw, thanks, Tom. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you again. Good to see you too. Uh, Tell me, are you making any fried foods this Hanukkah? I mean, I feel like yes is the the only acceptable answer to that, really. Mm, This is good. This is good. (laughs) Good start. Good start. We always do latkes. I usually also make brisket because I just kind of take every holiday as an opportunity to make brisket. That's fair. We'll probably make donuts. I don't know. We're, we haven't really figured out our menu yet. I have been getting served since my conversion more and more Jewish content on Instagram, uh, which is wonderful uh, for me and my mother-in-law, uh, with whom I speak every day by exchanging memes about sure, Judaism sure. Um, on Instagram, uh, which is great. But um, the the thing that I saw most recently, an innovation in uh, in Latka technology, is the the concept of like a different kind of shredded vegetable mm, latka. Sure. And now I'm always going to make a potato one. We'll <clears throat> we'll get into the the ins and outs here yeah. of the methods, the madness, etc. But I'm like, do I need a side of shredded Brussels sprout latke? Like, Ooh, it can't be bad. Okay. It seems really good. Sure. I essentially blast Brussels sprouts at like a 425 degree oven mm-hmm. uh, in order to make them anyway. And the crispy bits are my favorite. So like, what if all crispy bits? Okay. It could be great. Yeah, no, I I immediately am on board with this. Yeah, so, so let's get into it a little bit. Like, what would you say is your, I mean, maybe you've already kind of indirectly answered this, but what's your like Hanukkah food favorite? For me, it's always going to be about the latkes. Sure. And that is probably the most identifiable part of the holiday mm. uh, for those outside of it. Though I didn't grow up Jewish, I had a lot of friends who were growing up. Mm. And so I remember distinctly going to friends' houses and having latkes for Hanukkah. And really, the, one of the first times I remember thinking like, 
whoa, this is better. The food tastes better. And um, why can't we have that? <laughs> and my parents were like, we can't do it. Like, you know, it's just, we're not happening. But I love making latkes. It is such a project, mm-hmm. the sort of labor to reward. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense if you make like 30 of them. Uh, and it was one of the first things that my husband, Eric Silver, past and future guest, um, and I did together when we were first dating and making our own traditions cool. um, and making latkes together for Hanukkah. It's incredibly fun. We have a very unique technique that I will be happy to get into, but um, it's my absolute favorite. And I love applesauce uh, and I love kind of the carrying over now that I'm sort of getting more into the rhythms of Jewish life and not just celebrating holidays uh, with others based on their calendars, um, which is also perfectly legitimate. Mm -hmm. But I love the kind of through line of like, it's almost capping off Rosh Hashanah, which is, of course, the Jewish New Year. We started typically in September, and apples are a big part of that. It's right. for a sweet yeah. new year. Uh, it's, you know, symbolic and also makes sense per the harvest schedule. So, you know, the apples that are left at the farmer's market are a little bit lumpy. And you yeah. know what? Applesauce is a better <laughs> use of them, I think, uh, as I see all the, like, cool potatoes coming out, uh, than the sort of, like, cut up lovely apples in mm-hmm. their prime that September brings. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually having that thought just yesterday because we had a a friend of ours like got caught in traffic and needed us to pick up her kid from school nearby our house and so we're like okay perfect and she came over and you know I was like oh crap I have to like whip up some like ostensibly healthy (laughs) snack for this like child who doesn't live with us instead of just throwing a bunch of chicken and french fries at her right Um, and I was like okay we have apples and I was cutting out the apples and like you know the kids devoured the apples no problem but I took a piece of apple and I was chewing on it and I was like oh this ain't it this is not like (laughs) this is no longer a good snacking apple you know and uh, and and I was having the thought of like okay well at least it's Hanukkah and at least we can make applesauce out of these and you know everything will be fine and so I really like that I, I think you're you're spot on that there is something cool about the cyclical sort of nature of these holidays and the way that like the timing really does work out that like the apples are not that good for snacking anymore but they still are delicious. And actually, I think like overripe or like no longer really in season apples have a sweetness to them that lends itself really nicely to applesauce anyway. So it's kind of perfect, you know? Totally. If you've ever made banana bread and you're meant to like wait for the bananas to be overripe to make the bread, same thing applies for applesauce and for cider apples. Um, and if they can be bruised and beat up and you can just like cut out the, you know, the brown bits or just chuck them in yeah. uh, and it'll it'll work out perfectly fine. Uh, for me, that's been a big theme of, uh, you know, living a Jewish life and not just a life, uh, you know, again, not just that is perfectly legitimate. But for me, you know, I spent much of 2020 one and 2022, you know, getting into the rhythms of Jewish life, taking my classes, you know, converting uh, in mid 2022. And so now this has really been my first cycle, um, starting with, you know, a little bit before this time last year of Jewish life and of uh, observing those holidays. And so it's been for me like a very, you know, humbling experience sure. almost and like a very plugged into something bigger than me to to realize how much those you know rhythms of holiday and observance were constructed mm-hmm. for my benefit yeah. um, that they were put together by people who are like you know what you need uh, right now when the sky is getting dark and it's only going to get colder I think you need a holiday all about light being inside frying food and like looking forward to using the produce that otherwise would be kind of an afterthought like a potato mm-hmm. and a bruised apple sure I love that that's uh, that's a really good way to put that yeah that's the thing that's been like really cool for me in my conversion journey is like 
seeing those those rhythms and seeing like yeah you know there is a rhythm week to week there is a rhythm you know day to day and season to season and like it just kind of it's it's nice to have that as a reminder to take time to acknowledge those things and recognize those things you know my rabbi I don't know I'm it's still not clear to me if she was joking about this or not (laughs) said something to the effect of like you know Jews are supposed to pray like a hundred and a hundred times a day or, or 90. I don't remember what number of times a day. I, it's, <laughs> it's been a minute since we had this conversation and, you know, outlined like, oh yeah, you know, you're, you can, you can thank God for X, Y, and Z things as you're waking up in the morning, you know, be grateful that you woke up in the morning, be grateful when your feet mm-hmm. touch the ground for the first time. And it's like, oh, there's so many little moments where you can take a second to recognize, you know, that life is good. Right. And like, I always struggle with this cause I'm not the most like theistic of, people like i i'm not a huge god person and it's it's confusing and a little weird to be converting to a religion while also you know not being someone who super believes in god but that's that's up to me to figure out how i'm you know negotiating that and a thing that i appreciate is that my rabbi was like yeah that's legit don't worry and (laughs) like yeah mine started by being like yeah i don't believe in god and uh welcome to basic judaism and i was like whoa perfect perfect (laughs) as it should be there we go but but that's it like i i like that there's room for that right but but yeah I, i think like being reminded that like you know whether it's in the form of prayer or in the form of just taking a moment of like yeah, there's something beautiful about those like little routine remembering to to just kind of exist and feel the the space you're in, you know. And I think anything that gives you that rhythm, whether it's on a daily or a weekly or an annual basis, is really good for people, like just at their core, you know. Yeah, maybe you know it's been a, a confluence of like getting older, the just points that I'm at in my life and relationships, and also this relationship to tradition and faith Mm -hmm. is that like, I've kind of come out of the, I said it was humbling earlier. And I think part of me thought I was above those kinds of things. Thought that I didn't need the, you know, the tradition, the rest in my work week, Mm -hmm. um, the resetting or the, you know, the casting off of the previous year to make room for what's new. But it turns out I really do. Um, And this shouldn't be surprising to me. Like, you know, I I love systems and traditions and books and studying history and all of that. Um, but somehow it, it felt kind of separate to me or like a thing that anthropologically people need, but not me, Amanda, the person yes. needs. Yeah, no, I, that resonates for sure. Like there, there's this there's this tendency, I think, for us to go, well, religion and tradition, like that's not, you know, something I need. That's not something whatever. But I think these things developed from a place of like addressing something human right like whatever whatever faith system whatever belief system people have there are needs that need to be met and there are ways to meet those needs and like yeah you know finding ways to make sense of everything that's going on in the world and finding ways to cope honestly are are really important you know and when you can find a system that like when you can find a system whose context resonates with you and that makes sense with you i think that is the like the beauty of those things, you know? Yeah, it it really is. And I know this is going to be a different experience between the two of us, but making latkes for Hanukkah along with, you know, other like food traditions for different holidays uh, has felt exciting for me as I like make a household with my husband and uh, just like us as a family unit Mm -hmm. that is distinct to our families of origin. Sure. Um, And I think especially because we don't have kids, you know, a lot of the traditions I grew up around were very kid centered and very like, well, we do this for the kids to like teach the kids the new traditions and, you know, and all these kinds of things. Um, um, but it's 
it's also good for me and I'm also allowed to yeah. enjoy it. Like we are allowed to say, oh yeah, like it's Hanukkah. We are gonna bust out my maternal grandmother's KitchenAid with the metal meat grinder oh, yeah. that Eric's dad got us for one of our first Hanukkahs together um, and use his grandmother's latke recipe. The reason we use a meat grinder is because it chips the potatoes, like almost chipped coleslaw. Like it's so good. The texture's incredible. You can omit the baking powder. I'm telling you people, this is latke technology. You gotta do it. Um, and we <laughs> like figure that out none of our families ever did anything like that before but it feels both like uniquely us pulling from like literally his grandma's recipe my grandma's KitchenAid um, and putting those two things together plus as an Irish Jew uh, potato based holidays they feel like they're for me uniquely and so even though Hanukkah is not of religious significance really at all in Judaism it's basically you know we celebrate it this much because it's around Christmas and the the country decides and North America decides no no Christmas is the one and we're like but us um, it's incredibly uh, it's incredibly rewarding just for my particular loves and intersections of family yeah absolutely I mean the way that I know <laughs> that your meat grinder latkes are legit and and worth doing is that this is not the first time that you guys have mentioned this to me right after we first met I think Eric mentioned it uh, like the first time he was ever on our show he was like let me tell you my hack and this was like two years ago <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's how i know you you're tell? still it's doing something it we're proud of yeah oh yeah that's it it's like i tried it after that and it was great and you're still singing its praises so like clearly it works it's really good people should try it yeah i uh i'm very excited we do the potatoes first i'm allergic to onion which is very annoying mm-hmm. and so we typically will do a few batches of potato only and then add in the onions but man that meat grinder really it, it makes it work yeah. and again there's something um exciting uh for me and for us about like taking those recipes, taking those tools, doing something a little bit new with it. Um, and it makes the bulk prep uh, of potatoes a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. For me, that's the, cause I, I like the texture of a classically shredded latka just fine. Oh yeah. But not having to shred them that way. Yeah. It's, it's just so much better. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, people easier. have different techniques, food processor, you know, yeah. julienning, grating, like there's there's all kinds of uh, ways you can do it. I've never met a latke I don't like, yes. to be clear. Yes. Uh, you know, today I saw a, a like Instagram, again, recipe for like uh, a basically skillet sized latke, sure. like truly a potato pancake with like locks on top. And I'm like, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no notes. Um, I love potato. It's like my favorite food sure. pretty much, apart from toast, maybe. Um, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, but <laughs> It's it's so good. And having, you know, having, again, that like your particular spin on it. I love that no two families make it the same. Mm-hmm. I love that I can go to a restaurant and, you know, have a potato pancake at any time of year. But something about this time of year when it is uh, chilly and windy and cold and dark. Um, again, like somebody smarter and wiser than me in the past decided that this is the time to focus on literally lighting a candle in the darkness uh, and showing other households that there are Jews living here and we are a safe place to go. Uh, and secondly, eating delicious foods fried in oil. Like, Thank you. Yeah, that's it. I feel like even, look, even if Hanukkah wasn't like more or less around the same time of year as Christmas, I feel like it would still be a super hype holiday because of the food side of it, right? Like, you know, a lot of Jewish holidays have food involved, but can we really act like any of them are as exciting as frying stuff? Like, I I just, I don't think we can, which like is terrifying because frying stuff, not necessarily the best thing for our bodies, but like it's so tasty and it's so delicious. Yes. Two separate things, tasty and delicious that I think like that makes it worth it. And that makes it more celebratory almost right. When something is not that good for you, it is that much more 
clearly we should be celebrating when we eat this thing. We're also instructed not to fast or mourn uh, on Mm -hmm. Hanukkah. And, you know, Judaism is, again, really clear and intentional about when we are supposed to fast and mourn, which Mm -hmm. we, you know, just did a couple of months ago on Mm -hmm. Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. uh, and when we are meant to make merry, uh, which is essentially Hanukkah and Purim, um, along with a couple of other holidays. So, you know, it's it's celebrating a miracle and specifically saying you can't lament, you can't fast. This is just like Purim. You can't do it. Sorry, you might want to. There's Mm -hmm. plenty to lament about, probably. there's plenty you probably want to uh, fast and think on. But right now, somebody who's not you is saying, no, no, you need this. Yeah. Uh, and that, for I think a lot of us, can be the the outside validation we need to go a little easy, to have a little break, to you know, sort of acknowledge that our spirits need lifting for whatever reason. Yes. The way that I still, like every time, including just now, Every time that somebody reminds me that there are times when we are commanded to just chill and not stress out and just say, mm-hmm. like, look, this is a time for rejoicing. Let's be joyful. Every time I'm reminded of that, like, my shoulders drop a little. There's a relief that yeah. comes over that. And it is very, like, okay, so listen, there are there are a bunch of, like, giant menorahs lit on some, uh, you know, uh, town squares because of, like, you know, Hillel and like conservative uh, Judaism, like starting to do that in the 70s. Sure. It doesn't matter to me if there's menorahs in the, t- the town square next to the Christmas tree or whatever. Sure. Um, and there's obviously a lot of uh, context around, you know, how people are reacting to uh, and maybe protesting those menorahs mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what feels amazing is to clear a space in my window and light my candles just before dusk so that the life of the candle extends and is as bright as high contrast in that window as possible as people are coming home from work um, to say Jews live here and when I look around my neighborhood and I see those little menorahs in other places uh, it's moving it's wonderful and it's something that we're commanded to do unless it is you know endangering our life to do so sure yeah yeah, well, that's it. I, I think there's something, yeah, there's something beautiful about bringing light into a space, right? Both for us. And I guess and frying external. is the light of foods. Wow. Uh, I guess it would be what, like braising me? I mean, obviously there's bruleeing. Yeah. But I feel like the, of the sort of like roast, fry, you know, sear, this is the one with the most like sparkle to it. It's the one that's most likely to start a kitchen fire. There you go. And it's the one where things are golden brown after you finish making Mm. them the most often, right? There you go. Yeah. Like a flame. Yeah. And also, if we're taking light the opposite way, like heavy versus light, it's usually the heaviest way to eat things. So it kind of plays with that too, right? That's true. Okay. Here's the kind of question that rabbis um, would have debated back in the day and are probably debating now. Sure. Tom, do you think that an air fried food counts as a fried food for Hanukkah? Okay. This is confession time. For me mm-hmm. right now, I don't know how air fryers work. Sure, <laughs> I have That's made okay. it. I have made it this far into air fryers as a craze without having ever really <laughs> looked into how they work. I'm realizing. <laughs> do you consent to learning it, or do you want to stay in uh, in blissful ignorance? No, please teach me. Teach me about air fryers. <laughs> it's basically a a very powerful convection oven. That's it. Oh, that sucks. That's it. They should have yeah. named that better then. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it 
I think they call it that because, you know, having like a high power convection oven to like, you know, quickly like blast your vegetables at a high temperature or heat up frozen food, you know, it like sublimates the moisture in the food a lot better, especially for frozen things, Mm -hmm. um, a lot better and faster than an oven would. It's nothing to do with frying really, except that it comes with a crispy, you know, it it makes a crispy effect. Sure. Um, So... We were given one uh, by a friend before he moved. He since moved back to the city. I'm not giving back the air fryer because it's very convenient to have. Yeah, no. uh, and so it it doesn't, for me, get the like uh, texture quite right of a food based on frying. So, for example, um, I'll do like a, a chicken wing in an air fryer. And that gets it done pretty pretty well. Sure. Um, and doesn't take as long as it does in the oven. Doesn't lose that moisture. But this year, I might toss a couple in the air fryer, see what happens. Sure. I feel like I want the taste of the oil to to make it part of the experience, but that's the kind of shit that rabbis love to talk about. And then we'll like look at in shul and be like, I mean, is it is it frying? So I think where I'm at, like, I'm not even a rabbi. I'm just a person who cares about food words and what they mean. I think for me, like... That's okay. I think an air fryer, I understand. I, I completely understand why it's called an air fryer. I get you know, it does what it does. I think in order for it to be, you know how there's kosher for Passover? Yeah. I think in order for it to be fried for Hanukkah, it needs to be (laughs) oil fried. Now, Mm. does that mean it needs to be deep fried in oil? Not necessarily. Sure. Sure. We can do a shallow fry. We can pan and sear some stuff with oil. I'm not lugging three gallons of vegetable oil up to my third floor apartment. No. Come on. Well, and frankly, neither were the Maccabees. They didn't have that. They were using (laughs) olive oil probably. In one jar. Just one. (laughs) Like any any frying that was being done back then was olive oil, almost certainly. And uh, that's not great for deep frying. So like- I think we can be a little gentle with ourselves about how we define the relationship to oil there, but I think the oil needs to be present. And so mm. my question is, can you throw a little oil in the like air fryer with the like, uh, like is, is it's not going to catch fire or anything? It's not going to explode? It will not catch fire. It might uh, scald, but uh, mm. you typically sort of use like an um, an aerosol bottle, like a, a cooking spray type situation. I just have a little like Mister bottle with vegetable oil in it, um, and you uh, you know you you moisten like the basket of the air fryer. Okay. Um, and so there is some oil present, perhaps like the miracle of Hanukkah. Okay. Making a lot out of a little. Like maybe is this the purest incarnation? of latkes and Hanukkah food traditions that we could have. Okay, okay. So knowing that there is a like an oil receptacle <laughs> in yes. the air fryer that then like affects the ability to fry things. Okay, I think I think it's completely legit then. I think it's completely legit. I think like most debates in Judaism, it is about the spirit of the thing ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I I think by the time this comes out, um, I'll send you perhaps some photos uh, and we we can kind of do a side by side here of an air fried laka, typically not as deep in color, you know, not as uh, as sort of like sodden with oil, which is a good thing in my mm-hmm, opinion when it comes mm-hmm. to lakas. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll see what we like better. Yeah. I I think for me, the question comes down to, will it be tasty and bring you joy when you eat it because if it doesn't then it's not worth doing it totally agree which is kind of my feeling about food like 95 percent of the time but also i think specifically when it comes to like holiday celebratory foods if you are not going to enjoy the thing don't do it 
I'm totally with you. And you know that I am going to be eating lots of sufganyot during Hanukkah as well, yes. uh, which are uh, essentially Jewish donuts, mm-hmm. uh, typically with jelly in them. Mm-hmm. Incredibly delicious. Oh, yes. Uh, and deep fried, as you do, which I've never made at home, by the way. But this year might be the year. Ooh, yeah. Why not, right? I mean, any excuse to eat a donut, frankly, is, is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I realized there's something that I was not sure about that I just had to Google because I, you know, had no idea. There is a Polish donut that I've always called Ponki, but I think they're also called Paczki. I don't, I'm not, I don't speak Polish. I'm not Polish. I couldn't tell you. Uh, but there is a very good Polish bakery near my house that sells them year round. That to me, they've always just looked exactly like Sufganiot and like, they are delicious and you know usually i think they're filled with prune or with apple or cherry and like i've never known the difference between the two and i just googled it and truly the only difference is that that place probably fries them in lard which you wouldn't necessarily do if you were making them for for hanukkah because lard sure. is pork yeah no that makes total sense and i eric and i live in a polish neighborhood here okay. in brooklyn which abuts williamsburg which is the the most jewish i think place by density in uh, the US, uh, probably North America. And uh, the Polish donut place, Peter mm-hmm. Pan Donuts, featured in Spider-Man colon No Way Home um, that uh, Zendaya worked at, uh, does a collab with Edith's, okay. your friend and mine, uh, the uh, kind of nouveau Jewish diaspora um, deli and sandwich counter uh, to make sufganyot for uh, Hanukkah. And that is my cool. absolute dream uh, collab. And I am so excited to uh, go over and check him out this weekend. Yeah, no kidding. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think last year we made some of our own here. But uh, yeah, I don't know if we will this year. Maybe we will. I'm I'm so like, time is just wild for me this year. Like <laughs> It's early this year, too. So it, it really yeah. creeps up on you. And, and I'm like, work is crazy and I'm working so much and I wish I wasn't. And like, we have so many things and so many places and so many foods and people. And I know we're going to eat well, but I don't know at all, like what any of it is going to look like yet. And I'm a little stressed, (laughs) but I think I've got to just let that go and enjoy the joy of the season. You know, that's a good idea. Yeah. Embrace the, um, embrace the, the buffet that life brings you. Uh, And I will say that the, the topping possibilities of latkes, I I don't think are fully understood by people who don't make and love them. Yeah. I actually, I wanted to address that a little bit because one thing that we did last year or maybe the year before, I don't remember is uh, I made sure because I, I love like, I love a classic, you know, I love a little applesauce on there. I love a little sour cream, but I also ask myself, like, how can I make this a little more savory, right? Because I'm not Mm. a huge sweets person, which like I'm working on that in myself, but I I tend to (laughs) want savory more than sweet a lot of the time, or I want the two together, right? If I'm getting sweet, I want to also have a savory option on the plate with it. And so I'm like, okay, I got my applesauce one. You know, if I'm doing a trio, almost like you can get like a flight of creme brulees sometimes Mm -hmm, for dessert. mm -hmm. Uh, I'm doing a trio of latkes and it's like, okay, they're all the same latke as a base. And then I'm doing one with applesauce, one with sour cream, one with horseradish. Yeah, dude, that's the move. That's the move. Because horseradish to me is like one, I don't know why I just like have always associated horseradish with Judaism, probably because of Passover. It's very Jewish. And also the the kinds you can get in in the supermarket are like, Manischewitz brand or like Bob Temple <laughs> brand or like Bubby's brand like they're all yeah. they're all Jewish uh, names well there's that but then the other the only other place I ever see it is in Dijon mustard sometimes yeah and I'm like okay like the only people who like horseradish are the Jews and the French 
So I'm like, all right, perfect. <laughs> but so yeah, like for me, the only place I ever had horseradish as a kid growing up was when I went to friends' houses, like Jewish friends' houses for, you know, meals and it was around. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is great. And so for me, I'm like, okay, let's slap that on there. I also use it in my brisket recipe. So I'm like, all right, you know, I've got a jar of this. You got it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I tried it on Laka's last time and it was fantastic. And I was like, all right, perfect. This is part of my tradition now. Have you ever had beet horseradish? Yes. Also very yeah. good. That's the move for me. Okay. Uh, that's that's the kind we tend to buy and keep around in the fridge. And the um, color is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Regular horseradish looks a little like slop, uh, you know, if, if the color isn't quite right. Um, but no, the, the beet is beautiful. It's like a deep kind of purpley maroon. Reminds me of yeah. pomegranates. Again, another through line between kind of Rosh Hashanah into, mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. Hanukkah. And uh, it's simply delicious. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The, the beet one, I think I like the the classic a little more but the beet run the beet one does have that color going for it It has the color it has a little bit of earthiness to kind of like round out the sharpness of the horseradish um i'm definitely like continuing to develop my palette of of like jewish flavors and ashkenazi flavors specifically um so that is something that i am like every time i have beets i like them more uh you know so i'm i'm (laughs) i'm kind of doing a two for one here yeah absolutely okay uh we are going to take a quick break to hop over to the mid-roll and then when we get back we're going to uh we're going to ask a couple of of potentially horrific food crimes related questions that Amanda is not ready for. I just saw your eyebrows leap to the top of your head for a second there. This is going to be fun. (laughs) I'm ready. Stay tuned. Oh boy, folks, welcome to the mid-roll, the part of the show where I shamelessly ask you to give us money or support. You can also just give us support. You know, it's that time of year where we need it honestly, at the end of the year. We need your support to, to make it through the slog of the end of the year to, you know, keep us warm in the coldest times uh, and also to pay our bills and uh, pay for all of the many, many gifts that happen this time of year between Hanukkah and Christmas and half of our children's birthdays and, you know, bills also. Uh, so if you're enjoying the show so far and feel so inclined, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. And while you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of December, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of this show, you're kind of donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. That's like one very large bag of potatoes. There's literally no other way to turn zero into potatoes. So if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. If you want to support us financially, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod. That is a great way to keep in touch with us about things, suggest topics or episodes of the show, get you know advanced information about anything exciting that's going on uh, and also get access to the no bad food recipe club where we post recipes for you to try out and share with your friends and family and you know if you have a recipe you want to share with us we will also look at it and maybe try it and it's a nice little community over on our discord which you can only be part of if you join our patreon so do it (laughs) if you're not already a member of patreon obviously if you are already great Thank you. You're, you rock. You're the best. Uh, but if you're not already a member of our Patreon, please consider joining up at patreon.com slash nomadfoodpod today. All right, let's get back to the show. So, Amanda, here we are in the second half of the show. I have, I have two questions for you. One is 
kind of cursed. Okay. The other is uh, about food innovation. So I'm going to let you pick which direction to go first, and then we'll we'll get to the other one when we get to it. Uh, all right. Let's let's begin. Let's begin with the curse. We we gotta. All right. Perfect, perfect. Uh, okay, so earlier we were talking about how apples this time of year are no longer really good for just munching and crunching, but they're pretty good for baking and for turning into sauce. You mentioned very briefly the similarity between that and banana bread, how you want to, you know, wait until your bananas are mushy, then turn them into mm-hmm. bread. What do you think sounds better, sounds sounds more palatable, sounds less like a horrifying thing that you would never want to experience in your life between apple bread and banana sauce. This this question, Tom, is no question at all on account of uh, there's no combination of apples and bread that are bad. I love it. Yeah. I could honestly eat apples on bread. I, I, I sometimes sure. do. Uh, I could dice up apples and put it in pretty much any uh, mayo-based salad and enjoy myself. I do that in tuna sometimes. Uh, and sure. I would absolutely love and have eaten, you know, happily and heartily, uh, like eggy baked apple bread with, uh, with chunks of apple sure. in there. Like absolutely delicious. Banana sauce? Listen, I mean, something about it just screams toddler food in a way that I, I'm not into, but I eat plenty of smoothies and, you know, most of those are banana based, so I could probably sure. find a way to enjoy myself. You know, a very diplomatic answer. Thank you. Thank you. Apple bread all the way. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this because I was like, I don't know that I would want to make a quick bread out of apple necessarily. Like pureed apple turned into a bread the same way that you would do with like pumpkin bread or banana bread or something is not necessarily the vibe for me. Yeah, I have a few times tried like an apple muffin or an apple bread Mm. where, you know, the applesauce is used as a sweetener, um, which, you know, will typically happen if you're trying to be like, you know, very health conscious or like not add sugar in other ways. Um, And most of the time I'm disappointed if there is no chunk of apple also. So mixing those together, um, like I've seen done in advanced banana breads, uh, Mm. I I think is totally the move. But um, I'll, I'll take the worst apple. Apple bread over the best banana sauce, I gotta say. I got curious about, like, you know, the idea of banana sauce. Because my, my instinct as well is, like, okay, banana sauce. I don't want pureed banana just, like, hanging out on my stuff, you know? And then I thought about it, and, like, surely someone in the world must make some kind of sauce out of banana. So I googled banana sauce, and sure enough, banana sauce, while not specifically called banana sauce, is actually very popular in the Philippines uh, in the form of banana ketchup. That is true. And that is a thing I have had on hot dogs and highly enjoyed. Also, we're yeah. not even getting into the versatility of like plantanos and uh, plantain-based cooking, mm. uh, which, you know, there's all kinds of like beautiful stewy consistency of plantain that I really enjoyed. It's a whole nother beast uh, than yeah. the sort of like traditional dole banana. Yeah, that's it. I, I think the the... The banana ketchup is is a beautiful thing in and of itself, in the same way that a really well-executed apple muffin or apple cake could be. But I think, yeah, the, the my gut feeling there of, like, if we're saying apple bread as in banana bread made with apple, and we're saying banana sauce as in applesauce made with banana, there is a clear winner here for me. But if we're allowing ourselves to think a little more broadly of it, I think for me, the banana ketchup might be the winner. Wow, uh, I you're like it didn't even come to mind. I'm amazed now that yeah, I am. Yeah, me neither. I didn't think of it at first. Yeah, like now that I am looking it up, I love when there is an actual inventor of a thing that feels timeless to me. And I'm seeing here that Filipina food technologist Maria Y. Arosa 
credited with inventing banana ketchup during uh, World War II when there were no tomatoes, but a lot of bananas in the Philippines. Hell yeah. Due to, I don't know, shrugs in American imperialism. Uh, but that that seems so good. Yeah, I mean, in, in all fairness to American imperialism in World War II in the Philippines, I feel like it maybe wasn't their priority at the no, time. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, but so there's I, some stuff going on. <laughs> I do have a, a great deal of respect for uh, Filipino food mashups, uh, which are, yes. are truly like none other. That is like Filipino food, just as a tangent, is a world that I want to explore a little bit on this podcast in 2024. Yes, like, you should talk to Jen De La Vega, a chef, recipe developer, uh, our friend, a TTRPG player, uh, and the okay. caterer to Eric's and my wedding, uh, who okay. has worked on uh, a ton of really fascinating cookbooks, developing and testing cool. recipes, um, and is herself Filipina. Okay, okay. Well, that is definitely someone I'd like to talk to then. Yeah, I mean, I, I had like, I had a lot of Filipino friends growing up, but I haven't seen a lot of them in years. They were part of a, a social circle that I, you know, lost touch with. And I remember eating delicious food in my teens and then kind of losing touch. And uh, now there are a lot of great Filipino restaurants in Montreal, but they all opened up since COVID. So I haven't been to them because things have been weird. And I'm like, oh, I gotta like, I want to explore that world a little bit. Oh, yeah, dude. Like the first time I walked into a Jollibee and was like, chicken and spaghetti and like a mango pie like tell me more uh incredibly incredibly excited about Jollibee if you've never been uh highly recommend it so good we don't have them in Quebec yet as far as I'm aware but I think there's one in Ottawa so maybe next time I'm you know in the capital oh yeah so good dude so good I love I love calling Ottawa the capital because it's such an uninteresting city that it just like <laughs> gives it a gravitas that feels really wrong yeah it's a it's very American uh of me to say that every time someone says capital of Canada I freeze uh because yeah. you know not always a, I'm never 100% sure that it's Ottawa hot take Montreal should have stayed the capital of Canada we were for a bit at one point I'm just saying all right I have a second question for you here, and this is one where uh, our brains are going to get put to use a little bit. Okay. And that is, you mentioned earlier non-potato latkes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Brussels sprout, which, oh my God, that, that lit a fire inside me. I have to try that this mm-hmm. year. I think I did sweet potato once. Sure. It was pretty good. I almost feel like you could maybe even get away with doing an apple one if you're real careful about how you cook it. But I'm curious... What uh, let, let's come up with a couple. What do you what do you think we can do here? What can be how can we as two Irish Jewish converts? Yes. How can we innovate in the latke space this year? All right. So, Tom, first and foremost, I think that parsnip is a gimme. Hell yes. You got some sweetness. You've mm-hmm. got the root vegetable earthiness. I'm curious to see what the browning of like a a spooky, you know, uncolored parsnip would be. Um, I'd probably try turnip, but that's likely too sugary for me. Um, Mm, Like when you said sweet potato, I had an immediate like, ooh, I don't know about that. Because I I love sweet foods. But for me, the ideal latke is is firmly on the savory side of the spectrum. Sure, sure. So I'm glad you said parsnip because one, parsnip is one of my favorite root vegetables. Yeah. It's, It's just a champion. Two, it reminded me that I think a celeriac latke yeah. could be like an absolute monster and a total game changer. 
Yeah, I mean, like, root vegetables are kind of a gimme because we're talking about, mm-hmm. like, tubers and potatoes anyway. Sure. Um, but I, I do think it would be stellar. I've never done just, like, a full beet latka, but especially a golden beet, um, which is, like, mild in flavor. Again, looking like what you're going for in the color um, and I think would chip up really nicely, a very similar texture to a potato. Um, and sure. actually has some of the sort of, like, uh, you know, fibrousness that I think is actually a benefit in latkes. Because sometimes if you have, like, like a very, you know, like peeling potato that's great for mashes, uh, it'll it will kind of like disintegrate uh, sort of before you can make the patty. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I like where your head is at. Uh, unfortunately, I looked up golden beet latka and it looks like people have tried this already. So we're not we're not there yet. We're not innovating. OK, yet. we're going for true innovation here. True innovation. Okay. I thought about ube, you know, the purple. Of course. Potato. Yeah. Someone's done. That I'm sure already. that's been done. Yeah. 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 Okay. And celery root as well and, and parsnip. Okay, okay. All right. So we're really... I, I, th- I think root vegetables, that's where we begin, Tom. That's not where we end. They're that's out. Where we root warm vegetables it up. are out. They're Get rid out. of them. Basic. No more. Ex- Put them basic. back in the ground. No, no, no. Who, who needs it? Not my cup of tea on account of my tum, but have there been leek latkes made in the past? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I'm seeing potato and leek. I don't know if okay. I'm seeing like straight up leek i would go straight leek i would go uh straight straight white part of the leek which again resembles a tuber resembles a uh you know a yam a potato ultimately um but typically you mix onion and potato to get that typical lack of flavor and the you know the very mild um flavor that a leek has once fried i think would be delicious yeah yeah i could see that being really nice Okay, that was one thought. And then the other would be kind of on like the um, the eggplant uh, realm. Again, I'm sure just with how central eggplant is to so much Middle Eastern cuisine, um, it's been done before. Hmm. But I think if you properly salted and pressed the eggplant, you could get something pretty special. Yeah, I, I think the texture would be interesting with a with an eggplant latke. You need to like salt and press it overnight for me. So I, I spent a long time vegan and I've, I've kind of taken eggplant to its limits and frankly passed mm. it. Um, but mm. I think I think with enough um, salting, pressing, almost like tofu, you could probably actually freeze it um, to help like give it some more texture but the last thing you want is like a mushy you know oily eggplant yeah well that's the thing for me i'm like i'm thinking about eggplant and like i like eggplant but i feel like it's got to be oily and Mm -hmm. i mean so does a lot guys so maybe this is a non-problem maybe it's an air fryer maybe it's a modern tradition maybe that's the way that might be it we might need to to find a way that my only concern is finding a way to bind it at that point so we have these these eggplant strips that are like marinated in oil like they're like spicy oil marinated eggplants that we put on porchetta sandwiches at work and they're delicious and i'm thinking those are already like almost the texture i would want Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like they're thin little strips of eggplant you know i'm like what if we what if i kind of patted a lot of the oil off of them like maybe put put them under some paper towel with like a brick on top for a little bit like for like 12 hours and then breaded and fried them that could maybe i mean that sounds delicious sign me up yeah yeah Okay, eggplant latkes. Yeah. I, I don't I don't dislike this idea. I think with with enough careful preparation that could be really good. That could get us there. I think my issue here is that I'm trying to think of ways to innovate here and I'm actually just thinking like no, I just want potato. <laughs> I just, ultimately, I'm like, the reason that I keep leaning back toward like root vegetables in my heart is because I just want potato. I do want potato. But I'm also trying to think of like what a crispy fritter of a vegetable could bring me. And so mm. my my next suggestion might be a little a little out of left field. 
But what would you think about okra? About Ooh. finely diced, seeded okra, which is a, you know, if you eat it badly prepared, you might think you don't like it, but that's that's mm-hmm. really not the case. Um, I have had some incredible, like, very high temperature, like, you know, broiled, braised, fried. I'm not quite sure how they would, that they were prepared, but, like, fried okra, absolutely a thing. People love it. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. like you know flash kind of like almost like a shishito pepper like pan fried really quick i've had it and really enjoyed that as well i'm not not an expert on cooking it i I haven't done a ton of it but i'd be really curious what like a a kind of fine like julienne or dice of the okra Mm. does for me that's interesting yeah i've i've had really good i've made really good fried okra before i love it okay okay so a google search of okra latke does bring me a Martha Stewart recipe. Damn, Martha. Specifically for okra fritters. Okay. So so Slightly I don't different. know. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's likely like a cornmeal or a flour binder in there, which sometimes you put in laka, sometimes you don't. But I, sure. I think that shouldn't be the point. It shouldn't be like bits of okra suspended in a medium. Mm-hmm. Like the, the vegetable has to be the the main point. Yeah, that's it. Ooh, okay. My current food obsession, like that I that I think is gonna probably have to be part of my Hanukkah table this year, is arancini. Mmm. Which are also, you know, fried and delicious. True. So, you know, for anyone listening who doesn't know them, very briefly, they are risotto that has been breaded and fried in the shape of a little ball. I'm thinking about maybe maybe Tom, like you, you a you can very just say flat. rice cake pops. That's what they are. You they're kind of rice cake it. pops. Yeah, that, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, they're rice meatballs almost. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like if someone took kibe and got rid of all the meat. Yep. they are so good. And I'm thinking about like, what if you took risotto and turned it into a latke? Listen, you're allowed. You're allowed. What is rice but a starch? What are what are rice but very very small potatoes? Right? We basically get to the same thing. I think all yeah. cultures are either rice or potato-based, and why not meet in the middle? Why not bring those two yeah. together? Yeah, that's it. You got your rice people, you got your potato people. I would argue you also have your, like, wheat and corn people. Mm, true, true. And I know. I, I, simply, I, I simply just talked out of my ass on that one. But uh, I, I for okay. one, most dishes I enjoy have a rice or potato side, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm into it. I think that's legit. Yeah. My, my other, like, little, like, Italian cursed Hanukkah thought here is I want to do fried gnocchi mm. as a uh, as a Hanukkah food. Why not? Why is that cursed? Just because it feels it feels weird. I don't know. Something about it feels off, but I want to do it. Well, you know, you know all a thing that may not be obvious to folks who don't celebrate or know Hanukkah very well is that all fried foods are welcome. Again, the lore is about, you know, oil that should have lasted one night, lasting eight nights. Um, and, you know, being a, a wonderful like sign of good things to come, uh, which we mm-hmm. try to take that energy into the rest of the winter. Um, and so all fried foods are good, whether it is the like bunuelos or ursufkanyot uh, of the donuts and the sweet side or fried latkes on the savory side. Um, but yeah any fried food like if i come to your hanukkah table and there's arancini waiting for me i'll be like oh damn incredible yes please sure. and i'll load yeah. up my plate yeah you know what screw it screw any hesitations this year we're going all out we are we are just going to put everything in oil and we're going to see yay how it goes. i think that's a great you know idea what? 
but you got to have the toppings in order. And uh, to your point earlier, you know, I love like a dairy topping. Um, Again, in uh, in you know traditional kosher laws, you don't mix meat and milk, Uh, and so Mm -hmm. most of the time, because latkes are vegetarian, you you know you do the the milk thing, and so you'll have Mm -hmm. like a you know a cream filled donut. You'll have sour cream with your latkes. You'll have Mm -hmm. cheese. You know all kinds of stuff. People do put cheese in latkes, which you know next level. Mm -hmm. But I juicy Lucy kind of latkes. Oh oh, yeah. yeah. Oh no, not even that. No, like shredded cheese. But that that is a further limitation, which begs more kind of a a thought but no i i love um the dairy but also like a tart fresh something along the lines Mm. of the horseradish you mentioned um i certainly love applesauce my uh so my family are uh predominantly irish but also some german and my german uh great-grandmother made like a um an applesauce with red hot candies for flavor and that kind of like uh cinnamon like artificial cinnamon uh that in small doses is absolutely stunning and so this year i'm going to make her slightly cinnamon spicy applesauce to get a little bit of an extra kick in there but i can also see a world where we have like a really vinegary slaw type topping maybe we have pomegranate Mm -hmm. seeds if the pomegranates are still in season uh just some you know kind of sharp tart uh topping that for me goes so well with latkes I want to put pomegranate seeds in a coleslaw now and see what happens. Oh, yeah. You got it. For for Thanksgiving, we tend to do like a uh, room temperature, like lettuce, squash, pomegranate seed, and then apple or pear salad, mm. uh, just as like a, a side. Um, sure. Instagram also served me pickle latkes, uh, where you mix some amount of pickle into the potato, which I'm definitely going to try this year. Yeah, that's got to go on the list. I don't know if my kids will eat latkes this year. I think they maybe did last year it's always they're young enough that you never know right mm-hmm. so i'm like what what are some weird things i can do that might get them on board and i feel like pick a lot because might be it i like it it might be it i mean kids we'll like food that's in unexpected colors no you'd think sometimes <laughs> they do like in theory and then they see it and they're like but i can't put that in my body because it might be poison oh sure i mean probably a good instinct to cultivate but uh, i think these look probably. relatively uh, potato colored but uh yeah no i i think that's a really good idea all right well amanda thank you so much for joining me tonight on this uh this hanukkah episode of no bad food thank you for brainstorming laka innovations with me and uh for you know sharing the secrets of the meat grinder is there anything you want to leave people with today be it final thoughts about oil plugs etc yeah no i uh you are one of the lights in the darkness for me tom it is so great uh to spend this time with you and i hope you have a really wonderful hanukkah um i would actually like to recommend uh, a place that has made me feel really at home and secure in my judaism um which for a you know queer convert is not necessarily a given but uh, i feel so you know proud and confident about my life as a jewish person in part because of dreaming the world to come which is an intersectional project project uh, of all kinds of marginalized Jews, uh, you know, uh, native, anti-Zionist, disabled, Jews of color, converts, uh, queer and trans Jews. Uh, They produce a great podcast kind of explaining each month of the Jewish calendar. Uh, They make a planner, uh, which you can buy, but you don't have to, and publish all kinds of wonderful resources. Um, But Dreaming the World to Come is is a really good central resource to, you know, start finding a home for yourself within Judaism. It's the thing that makes sense to you. Or if you're just curious about learning uh, about the kinds of Judaism that are out there and the kinds of Jews that are out here doing very, very cool work. 
Sweet. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to check that out. I, uh, I'm always looking for more good podcasts to listen to. Speaking of good podcasts, I would like you guys to check out Amanda's podcast, Spirits, and join the party. I'm, uh, man, I think I told you this last week when everyone was posting their Spotify wrapped playlists. I'm not on Spotify, so I don't have that. But yours is the only show that I've downloaded the full back catalog and worked through this year, which, you know, it, it happens I do this with at least one show per year, right? Because you're you're inevitably caught up on all your shows. You find something mm-hmm. new you like, and you're like, okay, time to do the backlog thing. Um, but the only one, I haven't had a lot of time for podcasts this year. I've gotten back into reading, and I've gotten back into audiobooks a little bit. Nice. And so my podcast listening time has been reduced significantly. And the only one that I have gone through the whole backlog of is Spirits. Oh, well, so highly recommend people check it out. It's uh, It's really great. If you like this show, I think you will like Spirits also. That feels like a safe bet for me. Thank you so much. I'm also going to be a sneak peek uh, exclusive Ooh. for No Bad Food. I'm going to be doing an episode this year on Tu Shavat, which is the uh, Jewish uh, New Year for trees. For trees. And I'm very excited about it. That's very exciting. I'm looking forward to that. You want to be found on the socials at all? Do you, do you want people to, to go looking for you and then also be able to find you? I can be perceived on the socials. I'm at She's So Mickey, and you can keep track of all the great stuff. Multitude, uh, my podcast company that I run with Eric, uh, is doing at Multitude Shows on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, where uh, a very cool uh, Zennial is running our TikTok. Thank God. That's that's what we need, is we need a very cool Zennial to run our social media for mm-hmm, us, because mm-hmm. I'm... Uh, Teffer was like, let's get a TikTok set up. And I was like, all right. And then I still haven't downloaded TikTok yet. But we have a TikTok. Teffer has used it for some stuff. There you go. I feel old every time I think about TikTok. (laughs) So I did re-download Duolingo recently, though. So there was that. What are you working on? Italian. Very nice. I, uh, I figure it's been a year and a half I've been working at an Italian restaurant. I should probably start speaking the language. There you are. I'm I'm fairly deep into Yiddish, and it's uh, incredibly fun and gives me hilarious example sentences, which I highly recommend. The Yiddish unit in, involves a lot of like, oh, she's not married, uh, which <laughs> is so stereotypical and made me laugh so hard. <laughs> That's very good. Yep. That might have to be the next one I uh, I work on. The next one I work on should be Hungarian because my cousin in Hungary just got engaged and Aww. was like, you should come to my wedding next fall. And I was like, I'd love to do that. And I'm like, I should probably learn to speak. I bet you could find yeah, some we'll incredible see. Jewish food in Hungary. Probably. I there's This is for a whole other podcast, but I do not travel without the intention to eat. So if I go, I will eat. Always. Always. Amanda, thanks again for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Tom. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit us up on the socials at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teffer Bear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Chantal H., Gab, Thomas, Erica, Andrew, Chantal T., David, Mallory, Sarah, Nell, Carol Ann, Rachel, and Aslam. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and make it happen. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends at the Pod Cavern merch store and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by zach maccabee singles and our cover art is by david pickle slice to cut through the fat of the latka call that an oil moil flam you can find links for both of them in the description of this episode and last but certainly not least this show was produced by me tom zalatni and edited also by me tom zalatni as part of the podcavern network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at www.podcavern.com see you next week you are 
No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question, Are you afraid of the dark universe? This thing on? Yes. Oniric. Notes to Oniric, Day 1. By Tefer Troy, Doctoral Candidate, Alternative Narrative Traditions, Université de Montréal, October 12, 683. Oniric. Hello, Deirdre. I hope you're well. I'm recording this now because today's a big day. I'm meeting with a talking wolf after lunch. I'm a bit nervous about it. Oniric, a flame that rides the winds of words, a flame that seeks a single torch. The torch burns bright, the torch burns out. The flame remains and rides anew. Oniric, it's a dream quest. It's a grail quest. It's a fever dream quest. Oniric, just say hi. Please. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. For fuck's sake. Hi, Deirdre. Hope you're well. You're well rid of this idiot. Oniric. Coming fall 2023. In the Podcavern. And wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>